0: Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voices of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning.
1: Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo in San Diego. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by Managing Editor Andrew Keats. Hey, Andy. Scott, how are you? I'm well, thanks. And Great. fellow Managing Editor Andrea Lopez Fania, ¿cómo estamos?
2: Muy, muy bien, gracias. All
1: right, thank you. This week we are going on a journey through the news of the week, and we're going to start in Barrio Logan, where a community plan to ensure that eventually... Homes are separate from polluting industry, finally was finalized. Then we're going to take the roads to Sandeg. The agency was planning to charge people for every mile they drove and had faced months of criticism from conservatives, but then Democrats joined to sink that plan. It's a plan that actually wasn't legally allowed anyway. We'll explain the implications, though, of the big decision. And that, then, will take us to the council district of New San Diego City Council President Sean Elo Rivera. That didn't picture that last week. Words you couldn't say last week. Well, didn't I guess even you o- could have said them, but they just wouldn't have been accurate. Exactly. Didn't even occur to me to try to say it. He shocked most everyone this week. Most everyone, obviously somebody knew, when he ousted Jen Campbell from that role of council president. We'll explain how that happened. On the way, we'll be stopping at some new bathrooms as mandated, at least promised from the mayor. He's changed his tune a little bit. And maybe we'll get some elote from the street vendors. That's our journey this week. Stay with us. But first, we are in the middle of our year-end fundraising campaign. This is a really important time for us and for this show. So if you value what we do here, even if you value me and Andrea, but not necessarily Andy, or maybe Andy and Andrea, but not necessarily me, but that's probably unlikely. If you value anything of what we do, our investigations, our explanations, podcasts, all that, this is the time to make that known to us with some support. We're trying to raise $250,000 by the end of the year. Head to VOSD.org slash podcast 2021 to support this show. That's VOSD.org slash podcast 2021. When you give, write us the note and we'll read it. We've got a few Oksana Poleskaya donated and said, I appreciate local news presented thoughtfully. I recently started listening to your podcast. I love it. Thank you, Oksana. We love you. Yes. Allison Adema, she wrote, I appreciate the reporting and podcast. Andres Monreal, according to Spotify, I listened to VOSD podcasts for 2,264 minutes in 2021. And then he gave us, Some money for each one of those minutes. It's awesome. Great. And then Jack Perkins wrote VOSD rocks. That's all I need. That's good. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Go to VOSD.org slash podcast 2021. VOSD.org slash podcast 2021. Put your name there and we'll see what we can say about you. Thanks. So you'll remember our Friendsgiving episode a few weeks ago. We uh, talked with our friends Alon Stevens and Christina Kim, they came in. And our first segment was about restrooms and the lack of availability of access to public restrooms and our frustrations and our human needs and all of that.
2: It wasn't really like a Thanksgiving topic. No, it was. was But it just happened to be what. It was disgusting, but it
1: was good, important. It was good. And that that came, of course, with a report from Bella Ross, who um, did a story about the city struggling to deal with it as yet another fecal. Born illness spread among homeless individuals and and all these situations and, and our own problems getting to bathrooms as we go about the city, right? Okay. So after that came out, the um the mayor's office was mad. They're like, you know, what are you what are you talking about? We don't we did take this seriously, but there's no problem with public restrooms. We categorically reject that the city has struggled to solve a problem
3: associated with public restrooms right
1: and so that blew up on twitter as a, a little bit of a of a fight and then um, the union tribune did an editorial about this situation and she's like look and they're like look at this story that bella ross did in the ut oh by the way she now at, works for in, us at, the, at voice yeah at voice look at this one that she did for voice and now she works for us and this is right like this is a terrible situation and then in that piece they wrote that the mayor's office was determined now to add a bunch more restrooms. Right. Again, remember they said, we're not trying to add more restrooms. That's not the problem. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, our Lisa Alverstadt this week followed up on that. So w- what is this effort you've talked to the UT about? Right. What she says. And so, she analyzes it and finds out that they're actually adding a lot more o- opportunities for people to, within a few blocks to find a place to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that was all it was it was an interesting piece follow up g- good good job Lisa right good job Bella everybody we, we, we've advanced a topic there's uh, you know urgency at the mayor's office to deal with this the UT did a, a cartoon did you see this it was so good <laughs> Todd Gloria with uh, toilet paper stuck to his shoe uh, and this this problem right this yeah. problem sort of dogging him all right so we can move on maybe or we can no
2: no <laughs>
1: no we can't right There, Todd Gloria decides to tweet, I was pleased yesterday to see Voice of San Diego build on the info gathered by San Diego Union Tribune editorial board to paint a fuller picture of city staff's months-long effort to address the long-standing shortage of public restrooms downtown. Okay, so now it's a months-long effort that's ongoing to address a very clear long-standing problem. (laughs) That was not... That problem. was categorically <laughs> rejected
3: as a problem
1: mm-hmm. mere weeks ago.
3: Yeah. So uh, yeah. No, I am pleased to to see that they have categorically accepted that it was a problem, <laughs> a uh, persistent problem. Yeah. I, I mean, look, they the uh, I'm really glad that they got the the data team to to address the fact that there aren't enough bathrooms downtown. Um, I imagine that they had to really pull out some. Bayesian regressions to figure out exactly what a significant problem it was. They wanted to, you know, isolate all the confounding variables. I have no doubt, right? But, uh, th- you know, look, they're 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 putting porta potties downtown now, so I'm really glad that they that they've done that.
1: Yeah. Can we d- make two points real quick? Yeah. One is, as an addendum to a previous podcast, episode several months ago. UC San Diego's new building downtown, yeah. where they were they had uh, kind of bait <laughs> and switched where they'd said, we'll put a public restroom and then took it out. They actually built the restroom, and it's up. Yeah, Uh, a request
3: that San Diego city staff, which are the people who work for Mayor Todd Gloria, had gone along with the request to not have to build that that public restroom until it was pulled from a meeting, mid-meeting, because city council members who are at that meeting – started to express their frustration with the idea that this commitment to build a, do- a restroom was not going to be honored. Um, but prior to that, the you know, months long effort by city staff to address this long-standing problem that they <laughs> categorically <laughs> accept, it was their proposal to, to go along with the UC UCSD
1: proposal to not build that restroom. Right. Just to, and to, as long as we're stipulating facts. Fair enough. So that's my first point. Yeah. The second point is when, in San Diego city politics has the last snark been from the mayor's office (laughs) and not us. We followed up with a very straightforward story about what they were doing for public restrooms that kind of, you know, uh, I sort of, as he put it, gave a fuller picture of of what's going on and and helps understand their approach in a very open and sincere way. Mm -hmm. And he comes back and snarks at us that, that we just weren't good journalists before and got to be good journalists because of the UT's editorial board? Is is this a who? Whole, uh, m- mind you, same journalist.
3: Same journalists. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and she mentioned like she had been talking to city staff about this story yeah. where you could have brought up this month's long effort.
1: Yeah. We could have written that at the, that at the very beginning of yes. this whole thing. That was a new feature we're going to add. I to welcome this. it. I'm excited. To this program yeah. called- a hold my hoops moment <laughs> hold my
2: hoops moment yep uh, that was a hold the, my hoops moment.
1: Andrea looked at that and said oh man hold my
0: hoops <laughs> <laughs> I love that all right good job everyone
1: One of the things I like most about this job and my long now tenure in it is that I can sometimes see stories begin and actually end, even when they take a really long time. And this is one of those. So we're going to start in Barrio Logan. Let's start with you, Andrea. So you live there?
2: I live there. Yep.
1: And um, tell me what it's like as far as the there's, there's homes and then all of a sudden there's like a welding shop.
2: Yeah. I mean to start off, it's a beautiful community. I mean, the people who live there are just welcoming individuals, working hard to survive. I mean, it's, there's art, um, music, and all kinds of things and a rich history there. So it's just overall an awesome place to live. Sure, But it's also really interesting. I mean, you know, I have my my dogs, my two little dogs, and I walk them and it just changes really quickly from where you can be somewhere where there's shops or little stores or residential homes and then all of a sudden you're in front of a huge recycling area or the shipyards are there Mm -hmm. or there's a bunch of semi trucks parked in front of your apartment and it's really really weird so it's just this blend of of residential and industry that doesn't really go together
1: yeah andy you and i share i think a similar sting a similar bad feeling in our gut about what happened six years ago, I guess it was, seven years ago, when Barrio Logan finally, and the activists there, and a lot of people there, and the city planners finally came together with a plan for how eventually that would change. So explain. It's actually one of the only communities where there's no zoning differentiation, right? Yeah, I mean, they have zoning, Mm -hmm. but
3: the zoning basically... Each zone allows anything to happen, okay. at, so which it is not the purpose of zoning. It yeah. doesn't. It, if you're going to do
1: zoning, you should say like what should go where. Yeah,
3: right. <laughs> so you so it has been legal up until, well, it is still legal now. I should say um, for to open an industrial property or a commercial property next to a residential property, as opposed to the. Typical conception of zoning of this over here, that over there, and the third thing somewhere else.
1: So they passed a plan to say that eventually, as those properties turn over, as people sell them, mm-hmm. then they'll have to, you know, conform to new uses. They'll have to be residential in one part, and a buffer, and then industrial in another part. Right?
3: Yeah. So you, what you're indicating is this sort of the limitation of zoning as a change. The government can't change the law about what's allowed in a property and then come the next day and tell whoever owns that property that it's time to pack up shop and move they can't they can't be that coercive you have grandfathered rights in from the time that you purchased the property so the businesses that are operating under the old zoning plan will continue to be able to do so perpetually but if the ownership changes hands then it will revert to the new zoning um, and that includes also if they wanted to expand. At a certain point, you wouldn't be able to expand and maintain your grandfathered zoning. So it is a very long process to, to, to disentangle these uses. Um, but that is the long-term hope, that, that now having a more sensible arrangement, that that'll happen over time.
1: Okay, well, they did come up with that plan mm-hmm. several years ago. Yeah. We reported a ton on it. And then the shipbuilding industry, through a fit, Raised a bunch of money, spent a bunch of money on signature gatherers, one of whom I argued with <laughs> on, t- on video yeah. uh, at, in front of the Trader Joe's a long time ago. What? It was I not have, a good scene. I have to see not this. my best moment. No, not his best moment. <laughs> uh oh. Okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they even they made claim. One, the thing I was arguing with him about is he was making the claim that the Navy was going to leave San Diego if this zoning plan stayed in force. So there was a lot of bad things happening with misinformation and such. In the time I've been covering politics in San Diego, the the effort to overturn
3: the plan, the Barry Logan plan that was passed in um, 2013, was the most cynical, most uh, sheer power politics display that I have seen. Um, The shipyard simply ran a basic calculation that they had the money to put it on the ballot and that they could say what they needed to say in public to get voters to overturn a plan where the problems were incredibly localized in a group of people that don't have much of a voice citywide. And so they did that. They didn't engage in good faith in the negotiations beforehand, and it didn't even matter that the changes that the city was making were not especially threatening to their business model. And how can I say that so confidently? Because the plan passed now, and they don't care.
1: Yeah. So at the key, the key uh, fight was supposedly about this buffer between industry and residential that would grow over time, Mm -hmm. and that eventually became what they settled on anyway. Yeah. And the shipbuilding industry now is fine. Yeah. And,
3: so, and you know, it was it was maddening at the time. We can move on and talk about what happened uh, this week in a second. But it was maddening at the time to hear the way that they ran their campaign, because they if you actually listened to what was being said on TV or in mailers, there was no discussion of the buffer that yeah. that was what was actually changing. What the discussion was, was that they had made it illegal for the shipyards to exist, that the Navy was going to pull up stakes and leave San Diego was, was what you were fighting with the, the guy about. Not that in the area outside of where the shipyards are, because the shipyards, importantly, are on the port of San Diego. The city of San Diego doesn't even have jurisdiction over what happens there. This is what was happening elsewhere in the community near the shipyards and what types of businesses should be allowed to operate in a few block area with the goal of creating a buffer between the harmful industry on the on the water and the residential area to the north and west of that. Um, and that was all lost in a very cynical public campaign um, that then allowed the rest of the city to tell the people of Barrio Logan, no, that they don't get to... Uh, determine their own fate and their own community plan, like every other community in the city of San Diego does, even though they have a plan that allows something that no other community in San Diego would be asked to live with.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, that brings us to this week. And there was a lot of, uh, I think, deserved celebration Mm -hmm. that they got a deal done. The plan is now in place. Vivian Moreno had a uh, press conference and, and the mayor was proud. It was like, it's like, have we put those demons to rest? So is it all resolved?
2: Well, n- nothing's going to change immediately, yeah. right? <laughs> but I, I think one thing, right, like these officials are having press conferences and, okay, cool, they do that. But a big thing here is this is the community that has been fighting for this. This is individuals who have been outspoken about this, who were defeated back at, the first time that this, pan was, this plan was passed and that was a huge slap in the face for the community that has dealt with those issues of being slapped in the face a couple times right so i think you know um one thing that we have to note here is like this plan is a reality and yes of course the shipyard agreed not to argue with them anymore whatever but like we have this thanks to this community that has never given up yeah they and just continues to fight
1: that's the th- that's the kind of the story of endurance right they yeah. just kind of stuck with it for what i guess now it's i i got screwed up on the years it's like seven or eight years they just stuck with it yeah it's eight years basically yeah
2: and the plan they're running on is uh, 1979
3: i believe it has you know and a lot of these plans are very old and out of date but the in this case it's that age that is you know, why it was ever allowed to, to exist in the way that it is right now in the first place. Yeah.
1: There is one other part of it that I wanted to ask you about. There was a discussion about making it um, a new way of re- mandating affordable housing, right? They actually say in there, you need to, if you're going to build, which it allows a lot of building of, you need to make sure within that there is actually affordable housing. You can't just pay a fee and 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 say you've done your affordable housing you know, duty.
2: Yeah. So, so I think we, one thing we have to know is in Barrio Logan, despite all of these setbacks that the community has had and, you know, um, uh, lack of services that the community has, lack of parks and different things, in spite of all these challenges, the community continues to thrive, right? Like community members have made this space a really special area in the city that's recognized, you know, across the world or whatever. And because of that, we're seeing people purchase properties and rents are going up. So in spite of like this threat of pollution and all these other issues that the community deals with, it's also a place that's become really popular for people who probably would have never gone there before. It
1: makes sense. It's so close to downtown. Yeah. It has all that cultural uh, attraction. And and so now they've tried to make sure that if building does happen when it, and when it does happen, that there's spaces set aside.
2: Right. You're not displacing people who have lived there and kind of grown up there. And, you know, the the neighborhood deals with gentrification. And I don't understand too much of the housing stuff and Andy might better, but, um, you know, I think it was big to have that included in their plan because gentrification is a constant thing that comes up in that community.
3: Yeah. So the the affordable housing policies that are in this plan that are unique um, is that around the entire city, there is uh, an idea called inclusionary zoning. You need to include a certain amount of low-income housing, as you know, as a percentage basis, as part of your project. If you go, if you, if you get approved citywide, you can opt out of that requirement to build the units on site by paying a fee. That fee goes into a special uh, pot, uh, pot of money, which the city then uses to combine with other similar pots of money to build low-income housing. What happens in Barrio Logan? That is true in only one other community on Morena Boulevard, which is you can't opt out of the requirement to build those units on site by paying a fee. You must build them in your property. What Barrio Logan also has that no other community in the city has is those low-income housing units that get built as a result of new development are now reserved, 75% of them, for people who already live in the community. Um, so it is it is attempted to be an, an active anti-gentrification policy that, that new development won't price out existing residents. And, and if it, if they are in some ways, if the rent does go up, they are taken care of in some way by, by this policy. Hmm. Um, it's important to note, though, that that only applies to new development. People who live in existing homes, um, which are going up right now in spite of yeah. Not being much new development in that area because it's popular and because the you know stagnant supply of housing with increased demand for that housing pushes prices up. Um, so even in the a- absence of new development, people are being displaced already. And this is only addressing what will happen with new development.
1: Yeah. Every time you see a company raise a few hundred million dollars to, to hire people and expand, those jobs... need places to sleep at night and they're going to find places to sleep at night. So we either create new places for them to sleep at night or they're going to find these places to sleep at night. (laughs) All right. Now we're going to head to the San Diego Association of Governments, which Friday is going to consider its Regional transportation plan. Now, every five years, it has to put together a regional transportation plan. This is an outline of what it wants to build to handle the region's transportation needs over the next 30 years, right? This is not necessarily a project that they're building, right? They still need the money. They still need to do the different uh, impact reports for each of the projects. They need to design them. There's even a plan for a a trolley line from the border to Kearney Mesa. They don't even know where it is, right? Right. And so this is a plan, a vision. And this one got to be quite controversial and and interesting and now has been thrown a wrench uh, into its gears in the last hour. So let's get into what happened. So uh, uh, this is different than other ones, right? This is the first one that Hassan Akrata, the leader of SandEgg, has produced.
3: Yeah, and so when he came to town, he started talking about how he was going to disrupt the status quo of the San Diego transportation policy and uh, as administered by the SANDAG before him. He talked about building a vast network of rail lines that run at speeds comparable to subway systems in New York, D.C., Boston. You,
1: you should be able to get to any part of San Diego without a car as easy as if you had a car, which is, if you know, not what you can do now.
3: Right. And he also talked uh, a lot at the beginning and less so over time about emerging technologies, whether it was the boring company drilling tunnels more cheaply and more quickly, or whether it was Hyperloops uh, creating high-speed rail or high-speed transportation options to Las Vegas, or self-driving cars and uh, accommodating them on our roadways. Um, And then he also, though, crucially talked a lot about his idea of raising new money by making driving less attractive that is a what he called a road user charge basically ch- car- charging drivers for every mile that they drive to both bring money in and to discourage people from driving thereby decreasing the region's carbon footprint and allowing us to meet state greenhouse gas emission Mandates.
1: Yeah. So what, like half of the greenhouse gases we emit in California come from driving as human emissions? From transportation. From transportation. Okay. And so if you want to cut greenhouse gas emissions, you have to cut gas-powered driving.
3: Yes. There's really no other way around it. Now, you could – it's not necessarily true if everyone drove an electric car uh, and our electricity sources were all renewable – then maybe we wouldn't necessarily care so much about driving. Uh, but that's not the world we live in, and it takes a very long time for the fleet to turn over, even if you know half of new cars sold starting tomorrow were electric vehicles. That would take a very long time to turn over all the cars on the road and turn them into electric vehicles, right?
1: And, and there's also the problem of electric vehicles don't pay fuel taxes, and fuel taxes is how you normally fund a lot of the roads that are out there. Yeah, and this is is an observable observable phenomenon
3: that's been on the minds of public policymakers at the state level for a long time. Uh, Academics have studied it. Basically, as cars are getting more fuel-efficient, the expected revenue of gas taxes has been on the decline and is expected to continue to do so. And we rely on gas taxes to pay for a lot of things in this country. The federal government has a gas tax. The state government has a gas tax that trickles down to us to pay for our local projects. And so as cars are getting more fuel efficient, every gal- you know, people are buying fewer gallons of gasoline and therefore paying fewer taxes for them and therefore – we have less money to repair our roads, even though the requirements, the you know, the stresses on those roads are the same. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah. So all that combined to this plan that was 160 billion dollars. Now a lot of people made a lot of hay uh, out of that number. Did it represent the kind of transformative vision that he talked about with the hyperloops and everything? No, I would say no. the The trans the technology was
3: greatly diminished from where. It had initially been promised. There was still some emerging technologies in what he calls these mobility hubs. They had envisioned building these mobility hubs all over the place. Um, and that in those, you would have sort of first mile, last mile connections with some autonomous vehicles. And they were going to you know, ink some some pilot project opportunities with some of the companies that are part of that stuff. And so it's in there. But the dirty secret of a regional transportation plan, which isn't a secret at all, but is something that is often... Um, crushed under the weight of media coverage is that you know the, the, it's going to be redone every few years. And so these big picture visions that are out in the future we're going to have multiple decision points to reconsider them as they become more or less viable. And so a lot of the the rail expansions that he, that they're talking about aren't envisioned to come online until like 2050 right And so like it's cool that they're in there. I guess. And if you are really optimistic about this vision becoming a ra- reality, they need to be in there at some point because that they can begin to spend money on planning those and studying the environmental effects of those and doing the answering the engineering questions those are going to put out. But even this plan doesn't imagine them happening for 30 years. And every few years, they'll revote on a new version of this plan that could take them out or put in an alternative or change the way we understand it. And so like how transformative is, is this plan well if to the extent that a lot of the most transformative elements of it aren't playing coming online until 2050 those things are kind of hypothetical still even if
1: they're included in the plan well one of the transformative things though was that road user charge uh, they they withstood what six months two
3: years I ju- I just was just looking this the first the thing I can find right now is a op-ed written by Kristen Gaspar in May of 2019 saying Sandag's
1: track and tax proposal is bad for San Diego. Right. So for two years, they've been talking about a road user charge that would A, discourage driving, and B, raise money in place of a gas tax or in addition to. And the progressives on the Sandag board, including the now mayor of San Diego, Todd Gloria, were on board, it seemed like, with it. They weren't
3: joining conservatives in decrying it. And even if they weren't throwing a parade for it, they were moving it along. They were, they, you know, they weren't. If you don't step on these ideas and let them come into the plan, you know, you're at the very least passively supporting
1: it. Yeah. Right. You know. And so the, okay, there was there were a couple of problems that they also like hand waved away. Yeah. One of them was that how you actually collect this fee is actually quite difficult. Like, is it going to be a tracking device on people's cars, which obviously people can make a lot of uh, paranoid or even just normal, you know, criticisms about? Yeah, in from a privacy, privacy concern. concern. Yeah, and then Similar or ways. could you like just get people to report their odometer, like an emissions test every year or something? And that brings up concerns about, well, well, maybe they drove to New York instead of uh, in this area. And you can only tax them for what they do in California. Right. So uh, those, they just kind of said, well, look, don't worry. Because, as you pointed out, even that was theoretical. The state does not allow the collection of a vehicle miles tax, a, a road user charge. And so it was it was projected in the plan that it would be 10 years from now that they would even do that. Yeah, initially, it was in
3: 2026. The oh. first version of the plan released in May said in 2026, we suspect the state will implement a road user charge that then based on the fact that it's inevitable because gas tax revenues are going down and they're going to have to come up with some sort of alternative. And so we think that's going to happen in 2026. That's very soon in a public policy perspective, especially on a policy that is presently illegal. So in 2014 the state did pass a measure creating a pilot program that would explore this idea. In 2018 they extended that with a, a transportation committee of experts that would continue to try to answer these questions and unwind some of the difficult stuff around it. So that work is ongoing, but they haven't unveiled it yet. There's nothing there's nothing imminent about their decision to do so. Now in the final result, the plan, as it existed just a few weeks ago, they think that that'll start in 2030. And then their version of how that it became an even bigger deal locally is they said, well, the state's going to start charging it in 2030 is our assumption, two cents per mile. We're going to do our own on top of that. We're going to piggyback with a local charge, another two cents. So drivers will pay four cents every mile that they drive, uh, to someone. And um we think that they'll send half of that to the state and the state will send our you know send that money back to us and then we'll charge them another two cents um so the you know the initial plan the 2026 implementation they thought it was going to bring in 60 billion dollars that came way down to like you know like 19 billion dollars in the in the final version most of that coming from the the local charge um Most of that coming from the local charge, I hasten to add because the state called them and said, hey, if you are saying that this is going to be a replacement of the gas tax, you can't also assume that you'll keep collecting the gas tax. (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to have to deduct out the difference and you can only get, you know, that the. the the piece that remains from that, so the 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 amount that they expected to get from the state came way down. Now, they still thought that they would have their their own local charge, and so it was going to be about nineteen billion dollars. So it did two things: it brought in money, and it brought and it and it uh, was
1: presumed to really cut down on local emissions
3: until and so, last
2: week.
1: Until last week. So last week, this is heading up again. This week they're going to make the approval, and then all of a sudden, Mayor Todd Gloria. Uh, Mayor Catherine Blakespear mm-hmm. from Encinitas yeah. and Mayor Alejandro Soteles Solis from National City announced that, and they are on the board, they're very key members of the San Diego board. Uh, Blakespear the chair, right? Yeah. She's the chair. And then,
3: and Soteles Solis and, and uh, Gloria are vice chairs. Okay. They so say- this is the leadership
1: of the board. They say, so turns out you've been <laughs> working on this plan for a while. Yeah. It's due th- now. Yeah we're not on board with this road user charge. You're going to need to figure something else out. And they're like, well, but this is due. We have to turn it in. They're like, okay, you can do it and we'll approve it. But we're also going to approve a motion that says you have to get rid of that key part of it. And so is it clear that the plan is complete if they do that? Like, Because again, the, what the plan matters because... You have to be able to show the federal government and the state that you have this plan so that they'll uh, grant you money, right? Yeah. And so now they're in the complicated uh,
3: arrangement of passing a plan, sending it to the state and federal government to say, hey, we got the plan just as we're required to approve it. When they'll be on the rec- on record saying, in the next few months, we're going to change this.
1: Thing. So here's our plan. Give us money because of this plan.
3: But it's not our plan. But if this isn't our plan. And we'll let you know when we make some changes to it to remove this thing and you can't just remove it at this stage because this is a complicated plan that needs to go through the california environmental quality act process of studying the environmental impacts of everything in it well you know if you've heard all of our expectations about how this works to discourage driving that environmental impact report that they created relied on the assumption that this is in it so if you pull it out you need to redo that environmental impact report to show what the environmental impact of this project is without it. That yeah, can, that's a, not something that can be done in seven days.
1: Yeah, I saw your son playing Jenga the other day. Yeah, it's a Jenga tower where there's they've literally pulled out a very key yeah <laughs> piece of wood. Yeah, and the thing is about to fall. It could,
3: you know, and the, the, so there's a lot of complicated questions that they'll have to answer that are on both the revenue side and the emission side. Neither of them are especially easy uh, that they need to do and. They're doing it all at the last minute. And so I will say something politically, which is like since it was conservatives who opposed this plan for a long time, I think it became very easy for Sandag to not answer technocratic questions about the plan, about – Oh, that's interesting. They just kind of wrote them off. They were able to marginalize the opposition as coming from conservatives who they knew didn't have the votes to sink the plan on their own. And to the extent that progressives maybe had issues with the plan, they weren't asking them. They were going along with this like, well, it's just, that's just Jim Desmond and Kristen Gaspar and Rebecca Jones who don't like it. But apparently they were... Uh, That, you know, either because they agreed with the public sentiment against the plan or because they came around to, you know, brass tacks problems with the plan in terms of the assumption that it would go into place, that it would go into place at a certain time, that it would raise a certain amount of money, that, you know, there wouldn't be other issues that delayed any of those things. They didn't they didn't spend that time talking about those things because they were able to write off the opposition as just the, the opposition of a fringe conservative movement that that didn't have
1: the power at the board in the first place. Yeah, I think uh, there's. You can easily see this exploding, right, Andre? It's just so
2: stressing me out. Like I read Andy's story, and I just feel so stressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, what, what, what? Did like, like we talk about deadlines all the time. So, like, this is just yeah stressful. I just, but well, I
1: think you can see what they must have seen, which is that when people started to internalize, they're going to charge me for every mile I drive and how easily that could be exploited yeah. uh, politically. they probably saw warning lights go off and just said, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Yeah. But again, you this is another example. Andy, I think of like this distance between climate planning yeah. and climate plans that and the, the visions for what those climate uh, you know things are going to do. And then the actual reality of what that means. Mm -hmm. uh, It means charging people to discourage them from driving. It means rearranging how we live. It means changing how we get to work. It's big changes that haven't really been internalized. And once they start to get internalized, it's what's become clear is a pattern of progressives going, whoa, 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 sorry, we're not actually doing that. Yes, yes. Yeah, and
3: now I'll say that one, what, policy experts consider like a strength of the road user charge is that it is analogous to a gas tax. There's, if you could yeah. get people past a certain hurdle, like you could maybe imagine yourself persuading somebody, well, you already pay the government to drive. We already pay, you pay we, per mile. You literally, you literally pay per you mile. You can figure it out. Yeah, yeah. You can figure out what that is. Now it's, it's sort of, there's a, a deg, you know, one degree of Kevin Bacon between the, the, the driving and the charge, by virtue of the gas that you need to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, but it is basically the same thing, but you know, I mean, there was a criticism from the left this whole time, you know, like circulate San Diego executive director, Colin Perrin, who's not on the San board, but is an elected official. He has for the whole time basically said, this is a bad idea. You can't count on a policy that is illegal. To certainly give you X amount of revenue, or, especially for or, Sandag. Or, yeah,
1: Sandag's your entire scandal that you broke about Sandag was about them assuming something that was unquestionably inaccurate. Yes, unquestionably not connected to reality, and they were basing decisions off of it. And you revealed that, and it was such a scandal that it tore the agency apart. Yeah. And now we we have them not necessarily doing something that egregious, but yeah. it is still that same concept of of assumptions to do things that that, you know, when you start to examine the assumptions, start to really falter.
3: Yeah. I mean, the only difference here is that it's in the regional plan, which is itself by its nature, a speculative document. Yeah, it's a visionary thing. It's a visionary speculative document. So like. There's no scenario where you say, here's what's going to happen over the next thirty years, where you don't have to like go out on a limb and make some guesses. Sure. Now, but you know, Colin Perrin, for instance, his argument was it's one thing to say that we're gonna approve more local sales tax measures in a world where you've already seen that happen two times previously, than to say, we're gonna start charging a tax that no one has ever charged before and which is illegal right now. And which is unpopular right now. And it's going to happen in five years and it's going to bring in $60 billion. And we're going to count on that money to make the math of this whole thing work.
1: And to make our <laughs> climate goals work.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I feel like, you know, those posters uh, they have in elementary schools or middle schools, like it's a pretty picture. And then there's a quote at the bottom, like They're someone, confident. someone yeah. <laughs> needs to send Sandag one, like, You know what you do when you assume. (laughs) Like I just, this is just crazy to me. Yeah,
3: public policy often just works better standing from afar, like a Monet. Yeah, you you look at it, you get really close, and it's
1: like, ooh, a lot of this stuff doesn't make a great deal of sense. Yeah. So, um, well, Andy has all you can eat of the road user charge in a in a big story on the site. Voice San Diego. He also broke last week a story about SANDAG and the. We called it the Intermodal Transit Center for a while, ITC, and now it's uh, it's the Grand Central idea. It's being moved downtown. I don't need we to get into it a ton, but they are switching their idea of changing the Spay War Nav War complex to a you know transit Grand Central Station to an idea of maybe moving that downtown and replacing City Hall and building affordable housing, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. That's wild. It is, yeah. So It's kind nav- of cool. I mean, the Navar idea isn't dead,
3: but it seems like the negotiations aren't going especially well, either because they can't agree on
1: money or they can't agree on timelines. Just it's- to break down that the, the Navy owns that land, the Navy wants a new uh, you know, sort of center, yeah. a new building, and in exchange they might let you build on the rest of their land. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the deal they were kind of trying to work out, and that's not going well.
3: Yeah. And so Sandeg has sort of pivoted and said, well, there's a lot of good arguments for doing this downtown instead of doing this up in Old Town. And you can do the airport transit connection from there. Now, well, maybe worth noting that there are quite a number of people who made all those arguments at the time that they unveiled the Navar idea in the first place. And that they're not exactly saying you guys were all right. We're sorry. Yeah. Um, but they are now – uh, actively pursuing a downtown alternative.
1: And this, um, by the way, wasn't like a progressive like dream. This was Kevin Faulkner's dream,
3: right? Kind of. You know, he, he hired Hassan, and one of the first things that they did, I mean, he didn't hire Hassan. He, He's at, the big reason. He is the big reason Hassan came to town. He used the city's uh, weighted vote at Sandeg to veto an opportunity to hire somebody else. And then was the you know the political champion of hiring hassan instead a few months later and then one of the first orders of business which they unveiled together when hassan was new to town was that we needed this grand central concept a that it was the way to connect transit to the airport b and that the opportunity the best opportunity to do it was at nav yeah um so yeah i guess i guess he did
1: We have been driving now for a while, avoiding a road user charge, and we are going to head to a new place. And that is, there is a new council president at the city of San Diego. So just a quick background, 2004, the city voted to change the way it does city hall. That city hall, instead of the mayor being a member of the city council that gets to run the city council, and then they hire a manager to run the city, the mayor became the manager to run the city. And then the city council would have its own president. And the first council president was Scott Peters, now a congressman. And that was supposed to be a strong council. It was supposed to not just be a strong mayor, but a strong council. And very rarely since then have we actually seen a strong council. Not no. a not a
3: incredibly prolific policymaking body. No. It's, the old San, San Diego City Council.
1: No, it's not not great. <laughs> council president... Former now, Council President Jen Campbell was in that seat for just a year after a bitter feud we talked about last year when she was chosen by her colleagues to take that role. Now, we woke up Monday, and you said, hey, I think something's going to happen at this council president vote. Sean Elo might take it, Sean Elo Rivera. He represents City Heights, uh, uh, Talmadge, the college area. Jen Campbell represents the coast, and and you were like, I think he's going to get it, and and so we watch, and sure enough, Sean Elo Rivera becomes the council president.
2: It was a very weird meeting, awkward moments, and
1: <laughs> yeah, I loved you called it like the fog of Robert's rules, like like she she clearly uh, Jen Campbell's running the meeting. She clearly mm-hmm. starts to see it happen, and she's trying to procedurally stop it. Yeah, and which- she. She yeah. can't. She yeah. finally, at a moment, she's like, right, we got to take a break. And she, it's like the moment starts to settle in that like she's going to lose this.
3: Yes. There was a motion made by Stephen Whitburn to elect her. And then Councilman Chris Kate interjected and tried to ask a question, which Council President Campbell immediately started to shut down in an abrupt way that is uncommon in any city council meeting, you would normally just say, "What? Well, what's? What's that?" Like it's, you you don't typically rule on the motion, comment, order, procedure with an iron fist. Yeah. People are allowed to say, "Like, wait, I I would just want to ask what," and she's like, "No, it's it's not your turn." <laughs> you, you know? And uh, it went that way with a couple different very awkward moments until they started voting on her, and other people. On the San Diego City Council started trying to maneuver their ability not to vote at the start because they wanted to see what would happen ahead of them. I presume because- Hard to join the crowd if if, you don't know where the crowd's going. Yeah. And so she's sort of granting things and and trying to slow play things and trying to force people to vote. Uh, Monica Montgomery Stepp had a, a very funny moment where she sort of said I'd like to hear some of these comments and Jen Campbell interjected to tell her she hadn't she wasn't able to and Monica just immediately was like fine I vote no
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean this isn't tough math no. she won basically 5 to 4 last time yes and the f- the fifth you know started to indicate that he was going to switch sides everybody else seemed to be in the same place that fifth was city councilman Chris Kate, Mm -hmm. the lone Republican on the board, the lone Republican and just another little bit of history. The Republicans have been picking the San Diego City Council president for quite some time, even though they've been in the minority. Now they're down to one and they just did it again. (laughs) They still get to pick the council president. (laughs) It's incredible. So uh, this it pulls out. Sean Elo Rivera suddenly becomes council president. And only a few people knew this was even underway Chris Kate goes with him now. He had gotten the the budget chair, the committee that runs the budget. Chris Kate had gotten that last year in this in this maneuvering, and it seems like he's probably going to get it again. Yes. And this is just a it's a fascinating outcome because a couple of things come to mind right away. One is you had done some reporting, Andrea, about the street vending ordinance that we were waiting for
0: yeah.
1: from. Council President Jen Campbell. And that was one of the first things I thought about, too. Well, what happens with that? Because this is a big deal in the city.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's huge. And it was supposed to come before us uh, December 14th, I think. Yeah. And it's not anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not anymore. And it could be a lot different because think about you Now you have a guy who represents City Heights and not the coast. Right. The coast has a lot of complaints about street vending. And uh, ostensibly, the City Heights rep will have more Maybe some empathy for some of the entrepreneurs and trying to make it work biners. on the street. So this is this is the a minor version of many things that could be different. Mm-hmm. So uh, do do we are they going to do another one?
2: Well, Jen Campbell released a statement saying, you know, it's not going to come on December fourteenth, and uh, Council President Sean Elo wants to return it to committee. Uh, so we won't see anything until next year.
3: Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, from a big picture perspective, the count five members of the San Diego City Council ousted one council president who represents the coast, and put in that in the place somebody who represents City Heights. It's a you know, it's a it's. There's there's other ways to look at it, but that is like a major dynamic shift in the city. And we talk often about the outsized influence of the coast in city decision making. Well, here's one way that it, one time, at least that it went the other direction. Yeah. Now, I will say I said this last year, I'll say it this year. And I think we just added another data point. Sitting in the council president's chair has not served many council recent council presidents especially well. It has proven to be a thankless job. If often, not a cursed job. If not a cursed job. Um, that is neither a great way to pursue a policy agenda nor to advance yourself politically. Now, as you have added many times, that's true until it isn't. The right, you know, no position is any more important than the leader who's in it. And so maybe Shawnee Elo Rivera will, will succeed where others have stumbled. But there's this maneuvering every year for this job, and also every year this job seems to hurt the person who's in it. I yeah.
1: Well, well, let's just go back a couple. Myrtle Cole represents southeastern San Diego. She's in that role. She faces a, a, a you know, a, a, a rebellion in the district from people who are just like you're not paying attention to this district. You're not part of it, and part of it is because you're distracted by this job. Yes. And then she loses in in, in a shocking, uh, you know, sort of win of grassroots politics against her. Then she's replaced by Georgette Gomez, who soars from, you know, not even being a favorite in her council race to suddenly the council president. And the MTS board chair. And the chair of the MTS uh, system. And then she, you know, that momentum carries her to run for Congress. And then she loses that and and then she's completely out of politics. Right. And and then it goes to Jen Campbell after this bitter fight that that forced in part a recall against her that she survives and now she's ousted and now she might have even run. Right. I mean for yeah, she's up for
3: re-election in the coming year. So
1: I mean so it's like okay Sean. Yeah. Hang <laughs> but, on. But but I
3: you know you've persuaded me that your point is a good one yes. that that the, the right leader changes that dynamic and mm-hmm. so it would be wrong to just look at recent history i as a a, a concrete scald neanderthal can't help but stare at the recent history and just see see all the all, all the lost battles but maybe it changes yeah
1: Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego. We're here for you every week, and now we hope you can be there for us. It's the time of the year when we rely on new members and donors to step up and support the show. So if you love this podcast and what we do, add voice, all these explanations that make you the smartest person at your cool parties where you're talking about regional transportation plans and taxes and road user charges or public bathrooms and master plan all these things it's so good you got to take all that knowledge to your favorite gatherings you can do that because you listen to the voice san diego podcast you can do that because of the research and reporting that our reporters do you can do anything to support that any amount of money helps at vosd.org slash podcast 2021 that's vosd.org slash podcast 2021 i'm scott lewis editor-in-chief at voice san diego andrew keats and andrea lopez via fanya are our managing editors and this show is produced by nate john our technician is the excelente adam greenfield thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week